Forensic Minds episode 6. I cannot believe episode 6 already. So, if you're just tuning in for the very first time right now, Forensic Minds is a podcast aimed at those studying psychology, perhaps doing their postgrad in forensic psychology, or just for those that are interested in what it actually is forensic psychologists do. But before we get into the content, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which I am speaking to you today. I acknowledge that this land is not my own and will forever belong to the traditional custodians. I now pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. My name is Madison Riachi. I am a current doctoral candidate at Swinburne University and the Centre for Forensic Behavioural Science in Melbourne, completing my Doctor of Psychology, Clinical and Forensic. I'm also currently the National Student Representative on the Australian Psychological Society College of Forensic Psychologists Committee and a co-host of the Forensic Minds Australia podcast. We have our host for today, Ms. Claire Bryce. So Claire is currently in her final year of the Doctor of Psychology, Clinical and Forensic at Swinburne University and the Centre for Forensic Behavioural Science, where her thesis aims to validate an existing risk assessment tool used in cases of intimate partner violence. Claire completed her undergraduate and honours degree at La Trobe University and has worked in community corrections, forensic disability, homelessness and alcohol and other drug settings. Her course placements have included Forensic Care, Karanish and GEO. Claire is currently the Victorian Student Representative for the Australian Psychological Society College of Forensic Psychologists. And our, not our host, my goodness, and our guest for today, we have Ms. Hannah Levin. So Hannah has extensive experience and training in the assessment and treatment of child, adolescent and adults in clinical and forensic settings. She specializes particularly in working with youth and adults with complex trauma, substance use and past or present involvement in the foster care and criminal justice systems. Hannah incorporates a variety of evidence-based therapeutic interventions in her practice and places emphasis on a collaborative and strength-based approach with her clients. Now that is enough from me, I'll see you at the end, but I will pass over to Claire and Hannah. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate you giving up your time, especially having just... um, had a new baby not long ago um so it's really good for you to come and be with here with us today um we'll um get straight into it so um i guess first up question how did you get to where you are i am a forensic psychologist so i've completed a bachelor's degree in the states where i'm from and then i completed an honors degree and master's degree in forensic psychology in australia and then completed a an endorsement program, which is 3,000 hours of supervised practice in that field. And what does a typical day kind of look like for you? What I love about my days is that they're not really typical and they're different every day. I work in an educational setting for disadvantaged youth who might, uh, who have complex trauma or are at high risk for offending or might be um, disengaged from uh, from their families. And my role is overseeing their mental health and well-being and also providing guidance and support to staff members. So this means I might be providing therapy directly to the young people or running groups or working with staff to create behavior plans, identify learning needs or or connecting young people to services where they can access more long-term support. 
Um, so a typical day could be meeting with a family and a young person to address behaviors at home or working towards restoration if the young person is living out of home. Um, it might be doing cognitive or behavioral assessments to highlight needs they might have um, or working with staff. So sometimes the young people might connect with a staff member because they do see them every day um, and throughout the day. So they might disclose to them. So part of my role is also supporting staff with that, ensuring that they feel supported so that they're not developing any vicarious trauma and also um, giving them advice about how to work with a young person and then um, when needed, I'll follow up with the young person as well. Um, working with young people can be really unpredictable, so they don't always want to talk, but I feel like there's always opportunities to connect, and that's really like the first building block, and that might mean visiting someone in their home to check in on them, which we really did a lot during COVID when domestic violence was on the rise, just ensuring that they were all in safe spaces. Um, and which also can be confronting to see people in in those spaces um, or assisting a young person in court or visiting them in custody. Um, I've attended a birth. There's all these different opportunities I've had as a youth worker and a psychologist. Uh, or sometimes I would just play basketball with the young person and have conversations as we were going. Um, I'm not good at basketball at all, but it does create that opportunity for connection and for growth. Yeah. Um, so do you have like a client caseload then or is it kind of just whoever's needing assistance on the day or how does that work? I have a client caseload and what's been tricky with the type of youth that I work with because their lives are quite chaotic it's mm. it's um difficult to always focus on you know discuss like therapeutic work or healing from trauma or whatever it is because they have so many other things in their lives to manage yeah and constant crisis I imagine as well yeah and so a lot of it is sometimes getting them to a place of stability before they're even able to do that but with the youth, sometimes they actually will tell me, I don't want to make an appointment. I want you to ask me um, if I want to talk. Like they would rather I just approach them on the day, which <laughs> also means I have to gear myself up for like disappointment. <laughs> I'll get shut down. Like, oh, do you want to talk to me? Nah, don't want to talk to you. Okay, no problem. Whenever you want, you know. Um, yeah. But that's kind of what works for the group that I work with. And um, so, and I, and I do that because that's, I can, <laughs> but so I'll, I'll leave it quite flexible for them to speak to me. Um, and a lot of times the focus is also on establishing trust and safety because when the young person, it's not always the right time to work through really difficult things if they're not in the right mm. headspace or physical space, whatever it is. So actually establishing trust is a huge thing. And by actually allowing them the time to say they want to talk, they don't want to talk or giving them that power is part of that process as well. Yeah, and obviously the kind of clients you're working with have obviously come from a good background where there aren't many people they can trust or that kind of haven't been there for them. Yeah. So I imagine that's quite difficult to build up. Yeah, it is. And I guess sometimes it can feel like, I guess early on in my career, it almost maybe felt like a bit of a punching bag because I was a safe space. So a lot of the times the youth might take things out on me and then it's also about like coming back from that how to apologize how to work through problems um and that's all part of also building trust and learning about relationships yeah what would you say is the most kind of challenging part about that 
Um, I think for, for me, it might actually just be me and my headspace because you like you'd have time and actually the co more confident I am, the less those rifts will happen. But it also matters on my headspace. If I can remember I'm the adult and I have to like take it, take a step back and also be ready to talk to them when they're ready and on their terms. So even also before when you were saying what a typical day looks like, sometimes we would also have to like if a young person is ready to go to rehab on that day, everything else drops because that's the moment where they're willing to do it. And tomorrow yeah. might not be that time anymore. Can I kind of so, jump at that little snippet of motivation? Yeah. And really meeting people where they are in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds really tricky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Incredibly. Um, is there like, did you always want to work in youth or what kind of, how did you get to where you are? What made you end up? I think um, from a young age, it is definitely something I thought I wanted to do. And then there's been, I guess, and it's something I always have done in some respects, being like camp counselors and things like that. Um, when I moved to Australia, I got involved in working in a crisis refuge and I really fell in love with that work. Um, and then when I was choosing master's program, like clinical forensic, I got advice that, Sometimes it's good to specialize in a niche area because there's more work in that area. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and also because I really loved it. So that's what, what kind of like led me down that path as well. Yeah, great. Um, what um, you said kind of you want to focus on youth, which is good because that's kind of the idea of this podcast anyway, but you, I know that you work with adults as well. So what are some of the kind of the main differences that you notice between those age groups? Um, so with youth, they really have hormones and that is a big thing and also like an underdeveloped prefrontal cortex and yeah. so that, that alone a typical teenager and a typical adult are going to vary also with youth they are really stepping into that space where they're discovering their own identity and moving away from their families of origin and figuring out who they are who they want to be and it's a lot of trial and error um and I guess the hard thing is those with the youth I work with, they're youth with adult problems and problems or issues or challenges that most adults don't even have, which makes it extra difficult. Yeah, there's um, a lot of layers there. Yeah, but also sometimes extra fun as well. Like <laughs> working with them is really rewarding and can be really, really fun at times. Um, and adults can be similar. I mean, I guess also what I try to think about is where the person is at, like 60% of adolescents in adipome care have FASD, like fetal alcohol syndrome. Wow. So that, yeah, which is, it's a really high number, which is, um, you know, like really impacts the way that you work with someone. Yeah. Um, so you have to consider or whether someone might have a diagnosis of autism or ADHD or things like that really impact the way that you work. So rather than an adult or adolescent it's also what they're coming with mm. as well yeah and what they have and what supports that they might have around them as well mm -hmm. yeah and um do you have you noticed kind of like what are some common ethical i don't know dilemmas that you might face in the youth space compared to adults um so when in my in my work we actually we have team meetings with all the staff and part of that that um i brought in is to have a time when we discuss ethical dilemmas because with youth there's so many there's so many things that could be looked at as crossing boundaries or stepping over the line and it's important to evaluate that as you go because 
with youth especially and the way that they connect, um, it's something I feel like you need to be on top of all the time because they're also working on relationships. Early on in my career, but when I was a youth worker, um, someone actually left a note on my car saying like, oh, I really like you, here's my number. Um, and rather than stopping that relationship altogether, like with obviously supervision, it's really talking, we, I spoke to him about like what my role is and what his role is and how we can work together. Because a lot of times when young people open up, it's their first time doing so, and it could feel very intimate. Mm. So it's really understanding that relationship, the limits of the relationship and the difference between a trusting adult, a romantic relationship, a friendship, and really navigating all those different types of relationships. So rather than shying away from it, it's really like addressing it. And obviously, if you know, that's not becoming clear, you'd take further precautions or, yeah, you know, put other things in place. But it's everything is really like a learning opportunity. Yeah, and especially in kind of, I guess, a youth refuge space, you know, a lot of them haven't really had boundaries before. They've been in really chaotic environments and they don't know what's appropriate with staff or yeah. other people or anything. So, yeah, it's kind of, I guess, an ongoing um, yeah. process to teach them yeah, what to do. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and rather than looking at it, at it, like, I guess with a young person also, like with a very little child, you'd think, oh, why are they acting out in this way? And it's like a form of communication. And adolescents who haven't had that safe background or secure attachments are kind of going through that same process. Yeah. With adults that have had in their lives. For sure. Um, um, what, do you have any other kind of examples of ethical issues in, as your role, in your role as a psychologist now? Um, I guess it's, um, I guess also it's how much you share. I find myself that I might share more personal things, not personal things about me, but about my life um, with young people rather than adults, because it almost I, normalizes what uh, like a average adult looks like, the things mm -hmm. that they might have going on in their life. It might be normal to have a family, might be normal to own a car or things like that. Um, but still like always keeping in mind, like what are the boundaries? What are the limits? What am I safe disclosing? feel safe disclosing and what I don't. Um, I guess also um, something that comes up a lot is the place that I work is quite um, flexible with how I work with youth. But, you know, sometimes my um, I'll go for a walk with a young person for a therapy session or maybe attend with them like to court or something like that. And it's always keeping in mind, like, what is my role here? What am I, like, why am I doing this job? Like doing this in this way, I guess, because it's not, it's not what maybe the role typically looks like. Yeah, it's sort of, I guess, a little bit more outside the box thinking. Yeah, and so, and because of that, because it's kind of an out of, out of the box group, um, I would also, you know, suggest if you're ever, it's just kind of to be transparent always with these things and seek supervision and um yeah just yeah to always like kind of touch base base uh, base with someone yeah it as well yeah for sure um what what's your approach in terms of therapeutic interventions and why do you kind of take that in terms of therapeutic interventions, I suppose I start with motivational interviewing and understanding the state of change the young person is in, and that inter informs the type of intervention I would use, like really understanding whether they're even ready for change, want to change, or already in the process of doing so. 
um, as we said before, you know, building trust is really the foundation for everything else. So if you have trust and then you can create a space of safety, that's like the sweet spot that creates opportunities for growth and change and also the belief that change is even possible. So I've been trained in trauma-informed care, which is just understanding the impacts of trauma on a person and how it impacts different aspects of their life. Um, and so I use a lot of psychoeducation to teach young people about sex and drugs, um, identity, growth mindset, or making sense of the symptoms they may be experiencing with um, depression or anxiety. And I also use emotional regulation strategies from dialectical behavioral therapy and work on challenging negative thoughts with cognitive behavioral therapy. So all these things help young people get an understanding for what life can look like, because a lot of them were raised in environments where drugs, crime, and violence were really normalized. So um, I also like to use experiential techniques, which creates opportunities to explore trauma and low self-esteem um, and depression and anxiety and in other ways that are not just talking because young people don't always want to talk and sometimes they don't have the language to even express what's going on for them. So having an, um, being able to process without having to use words or verbalize can be really powerful. Um, talking sometimes can also be re-traumatizing, not if it's someone's first disclosure or if they haven't really had a chance to talk about what they've been through, then it's obviously vital and necessary, but talking about it a lot can almost become their new identity which we don't want and or it can also just be upsetting and they don't always want to do that so I'll usually tell the young person that we can just work on the here and now and rather than go into details about their past we just can discuss how whatever they experience them is impacting them now and what we can do about it. I guess I also try because I might not see a young person, I could see them one day, maybe not see them for several weeks or months, they might get locked up in the middle, they might, you know, go to rehab in the middle, or they might just go off someone one young person just calls it ghosting, she'll send me an email and say I'm ghosting it. And I'm like, okay, oh, I don't know. I think it counts as ghosting if they've let you know. I know, I know. <laughs> but that's okay. I'm not going to tell her that. So, <laughs> no, that's really I, like... You know, it's nice yeah. they've found a way to communicate that they're not going to be, you know, yeah. on board for a little while. Um, I know. Well, actually, with that, she'll also sometimes say, oh, you're you're so annoying. I can always talk to you, but it's like an insult and a compliment. I'm like, <laughs> okay, I don't know. Um, but I guess I try to make, like, each session think what's kind of, like, how to wrap it all up in one go because yeah. I don't know what they're, like, to just come away with something yeah. because I don't know the next time I'm going to see them. Do you find that with young people specifically, they kind of have a lot more other services involved than what would you would be used to in working with adults? Um, I actually find adults and young people in the forensic system usually do have a lot of people involved, but with young people, you'll have, um, or what I found is you can have like mental health workers and then people actually, you know, who are part of, um, it was docs, then facts, and now I think it's DCJ. Department of Community Justice for young mm -hmm. people who have been, you know, um, removed from home or have trouble at home or having troubles at home. Um, and so what we do is like for that, it's really important that I find to have like group co conferences um, so that everyone's on the same page and everyone can work together. And I do that regularly, even also with their schools as well. Yeah. Um, and also making sure everyone does their part, because if you have too many people as well, then it just becomes no one's doing anything because everyone thinks someone else is going to be doing it. 
Um, oh, sorry, and also um, uh, youth justice officers as well are often involved yeah. too. Yeah, so kind of really important to have that role clarity around who's responsible for what and who's kind of taking yeah. what on. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, what would you say has been the most rewarding part about working with youth? Um, I guess the most rewarding is really in those small moments when I see youth acting like youth, I find really enjoyable when they can have moments where you know, their problems aren't the biggest things they can let loose and just, you know, have a good time. Like a few weeks ago, there was, you know, they were just in a room doing TikTok videos and it was just fun and yeah. easy. Like you really take those moments for granted because we don't see them often. Mm. Not yeah. often enough. Okay. Yeah. Another one also, I was in, um, we were took them to volunteer at a homeless shelter and they were giving out food. And one of them is like, we could only give each person one serving and she had this moment of like oh this is why you guys have rules for us because it wouldn't be fair you know if everyone got everything and it was kind of like they had these moments of clarity and it's mm. yeah just like quite innocent and really nice to see kind of see it from the flip side in terms of also rewarding experiences I find that I try to focus on small wins I don't look at whether a young person like will never commit a crime again, but rather like they've made the connection between how their triggers and thoughts might impact their behavior. And that's huge. Or how they might find solutions to address that, even if they haven't quite used them, but they're thinking about it. Um, a young person I worked with had committed an offense and was on a good behavior bond, which meant that if they didn't follow the conditions, they would go straight to jail. And I remember telling a coworker, oh gosh, that seems so unfair. Like they can't commit any crimes. And then they're like, oh, that's actually pretty normal. Most teenagers don't commit crimes. Um, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's like kind of puts a shift into that perspective. Once you can get into perspective, it's kind of, it's makes working on realistic and achievable goals more possible. Um, something about youth also, something good to know is that their minds can change about their goals and it's not helpful to work harder on them than they do. Like if you're working to create opportunities or connect them to people where you think they'd really benefit from, if you're more invested in it than they are, they're not necessarily going to gain because once you have it all set up, they might really not want to be involved in that. So when I work with young people, I also try to give them agency and be involved in the planning process and let them decide how to navigate that with that it's also so helpful to know what services are in your area and make connections and create relationships with stakeholders there are so many services out there there's no need to reinvent the wheel the more healthy relationships a young person has the more beneficial to their growth and development um, I used to just look at job advertisements in different areas to see what services were around there's probably an easier way but that's something I used to do to figure out what services were around Looking back what you know kind of now and where you've got to in your career, is there anything that you would do differently? Um, no. No? <laughs> I don't think so. I, I was really fortunate in that I felt like I had a bunch of different roles in this space. Mm. I started my university degree when I was a bit older and I was already working in the system and I felt like that kind of gave me a different perspective um, which I am really grateful for 
not at the time because at the time I was in such a rush to finish but it was yeah. I think really valuable to let's say do a night shift and see the youth at night and what that's like or to do I used to volunteer a street walk where we'd go around looking for disengaged youth to connect them to services and you know that was an amazing experience so it's like all these things I feel like um were really helpful yeah, yeah that's fantastic yeah I guess on that note then do you have any kind of tips or advice for anyone starting out that might want to get into youth or even more broadly just forensic psychology I think the most valuable things I can pinpoint for me was doing lifeline um, to be able to ask people if they're feeling suicidal and be able to really do like a quick risk assessment of that. Sorry, my baby's in the background. Um, (laughs) It's always just wanting my attention, Um, but I am working on a secure attachment, you know. No, but um, it's also like, yeah, I found life on really valuable in personal, my personal life, asking people who I even know. And um, definitely it comes up all the time at work. Mm. Um, I'm also having um, knowledge and being comfortable talking about sex and knowing sex education, talking about consent, STIs, having a basis of that. Mm. Um, and probably, and also like drug use as well. I would say yeah. those three things are really important. Yeah, they do sound really valuable. Um, is there any kind of particular training or programs or anything that you did to kind of get there or is it more just experience as you went to build on that? Um, yeah, well, um, Lifeline, definitely. And I did I did a, a training in all of those areas, actually, which I think are really valuable. Yeah, great. Well, I think that's something that's like, as it comes up, like choosing professional development where you can really like, something that you are interested in can benefit the people you're working with you know making it like serve multiple purposes also in terms of working with young people it's really important to know your own triggers or your sensitive spots Um, it's really easy to project and think young people are going through things when they might not be as impacted as you think they are or it's really your own stuff coming out So with that also, it's also really good to know the type of clients you might not be able to work with at certain points of your career or in certain settings. There was a person I wasn't, I felt conflicted about working with because the setting I was in wasn't really safe for the type of um, needs that he had. And I felt very conflicted about saying no and mulled over it for a long time until I was able to say no to it. But it's okay to say no. Someone else can do that work. Um, It's really everyone working together, everyone doing what suits them because that will also suit the client. If you're not feeling comfortable working with someone, that's not going to help them because there's already going to be a break in that rapport and relationship if you're not fully present and fully willing to engage. Um, Other advice that's I've gotten also is just being culturally sensitive and seeking advice from people who can help in different areas. Um, I was working with a young person who came in and was very upset about a sexual interaction that she had. And as she was describing it, I was thinking, oh, she's she must have been sexually assaulted. But I was as I was listening and being curious and asking questions, I realized that she was upset because she thought she had Um, she thought that it was bad and she felt shame because she enjoyed this experience and that was looked down on in her culture. So it's also important not to make assumptions because that conversation could have gone a totally different way, but just to stay open and present in engagement. 
In terms of um, sort of self-care, what kind of things would you recommend for people starting out to make sure they prioritise that? And what have you noticed maybe in other people or in yourself that indicates that maybe you're not looking after yourself the best? Um, I think with self-care and what I would tell clients is sometimes people will have like a contrived idea of what that is, like eat right, exercise, journal, be great, great, you have gratitude and all of those things. And I feel like those are sometimes more punishing than they are rewarding because it's like, I have to do this and I should feel better. I think it's really listening to yourself and feeling what feels right for you in the moment. Maybe it means saying no to some of those things. Maybe it's staying at home. It's like really knowing, first of all, when you are feeling overwhelmed and what you need to recenter yourself. Yeah, I think it's really different for everybody. Um, I guess for me, I notice it sometimes when I work too much, if I'm taking on more work, it's kind of a sign for me to say, like, let me reinvest in my personal life. Let me take a step back because that's like, yeah, that's something I notice with myself. Hmm. Work is really easy for me to just avoid everything. (laughs) <laughs> sure yeah. yeah so more about kind of just yeah really checking in with yourself and what's needed at the time rather than any kind of wonderful fail-safe self-care plan that you're trying to see yeah none of those I don't believe in those yeah yeah no. yeah no that makes complete sense yeah. um i kind of resumed through these questions is there anything you'd like to share that we might not have covered or that you think would be really helpful for anyone listening yeah, I talk really fast, sorry about that. But um, there was actually one other question you asked was about what was the um, the hardest thing about it, the job, I think. Yeah, sure. Because so, <laughs> I, I had a moment, a few moments where I, um, this was when I was a, a while back, but I saw a young person that I know who was smashing someone's head in with their foot. They were stomping on their head. And I had to run over with a, another youth worker, get get him off and then help um, resuscitate the person who was being attacked. And that was, yeah, it was very intense moment, but that also, um, I guess what it did for me is that it made me think that they, like the young people I work with, I think I used to have like a rosy eyed vision of it. Like they're Mm -hmm. all wonderful and everyone I work with is wonderful, but really that everything, everything kind of existed in the gray where you can, you know be amazing or be like all of that stuff but also you need to still hold people accountable for the things that they've done yeah so I think that was a moment where it was like um just being more realistic about what's going on like holding people accountable for what they've done but still holding space for them to grow and to change and to work through whatever got them to that space as well yeah yeah so important I think kind of raises I guess as well like as a psychologist you're often seeing a very toned down version of this person and kind of, you know, what's on their fence summaries or whatever, like, you know, maybe doesn't kind of make sense until you see something like that. And it's really kind of becomes a lot more real. Yeah. And on the same side, I guess like first impressions just don't really matter. There's been a lot of times where you can see young people in a group and they might look quite intimidating, but Mm -hmm. they're just shy or just, you know, they're not really what you see is what you get at all. Yeah. Just want to find their place in the world. Yeah. And if you can connect, it's really rewarding, really special. Sure. Um, did you receive any kind of great advice when you started out on your career? Or do you have any great advice for anyone that's beginning their career as a forensic psychologist? 
This actually has to do with being a mother. I graduated, I was finishing my thesis when I was um, just gave birth to my, my older son and I started my career with, with children. Um, and it was difficult because I was working part-time and I was prioritizing my family. And I guess if anyone's starting off as a mom or with anything in their life that takes priority is really, I guess, trusting that you'll get to where you need to go, even if it's at a slower pace. Hmm. and not you know, like rush that process. Um, I think there's like a lot of pressure to just get somewhere, but then you're not maybe learning stuff along the way and missing out on what's going on in your life. Yeah, I mean, that's really helpful information, I'm sure, for a lot of people that are yeah. just the beginning of their career trajectory. Do you have any kind of other stories or, um, I don't know, anything that oh. would be helpful? Yeah, oh, I was thinking of stories. I was, th- I guess, I was thinking this maybe goes along with ethical issues. Is that I always think like the young people that I'm working with are, you know, like real people with real problems. It's not just a job. Um, there was once like a young person who I got reconnected with after two years, and he, I was going to visit him in jail, and I was already listed on his list of visitors, but I had not spoken to him in like over two years, oh, and wow. you know, and I just found that. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was very heartbreaking. And yeah. there's been people who are um, on their list of emergency contacts. And I just always find that quite sad, too. Yeah, you know? it's like, kind of beautiful, but also very sad. <laughs> yeah. And there's these moments where I, I try to take a second, um, because I think when people work in this industry, you can... I guess become desensitized to things. Um, and I, I try to take moments where I really try to remember how hard it is for these people for these for I don't want to say people for these young people to go about their lives Mm. and how difficult it is and the challenges that they're facing and they are everyone's really doing the best that they can with the tools that they have and I I think that's what I I try to stress to them also is that like um, strategies that they've used might have worked for a certain time but now they can be like destructive or not serving them in the way that they need them to like drug abuse or um, self-harming or eating disorders all those things like they all have a purpose but they're just not working anymore in mm. the way that they want them to and I think that's also about taking away the shame of it because there is a lot of shame with things that people do like people that they might have used but it's like that that really served a purpose yeah yeah it was what really you to kind through of get through at the time I had a young person tell me that they were they were talking about why they were homeless and they said they had to choose between staying home and being raped by their dad or living on the street. So it's also like, you know, I think people might look at youth and think bad things, but not realizing the really hard choices that they have to make. That they yeah. Have to make. yeah. No one's kind of in that situation because they want to be. Um, yeah. I will say, you know, I often find myself where I'm like, I'll talk about things and not realize it's normal. Like what's normal for me to talk about is not so normal, I will say, or the norm. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say normal, I'll say the norm. But um, yeah, on a lighter note, though. <laughs> um, well, actually, I guess when, when I was pregnant and um, the young people, they just have such this strong sense of like protectiveness and lo- and loyalty, I guess, like which is something to really be mindful of as well and respect. Um, but I remember, you know, they're very careful to like not smoke near me. And they, there was once two people arguing and I'm like, oh, let me just go check what's going on. And they're like, you shouldn't be doing that. You're pregnant. 
<laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. And there's also just been these moments where you see them really um, developing into their own people with values and a positive outlook. Uh, and this is the thing about youth also, they are not limited by their circumstances. They are kind of still too young to know that, you know, there's certain things that might limit you in life and they like anything is a possibility for them. Um, which is a really beautiful also because, you know, also when we went to volunteer somewhere, they're like, oh, at a homeless shelter, they're like, wow, it's so sad. All these people are homeless. But this young person was also homeless. Yes. And Interesting that I not like that connection a lot of the time. Not. Just, you know, how, yeah. how unfortunate are all these other people and kind of don't put themselves in that. Yeah. Which I think is category. a gift. Because, yeah. Yeah. It Probably gives them opportunity. survival mechanism. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Which is maybe a nicer place to end. Yeah. <laughs> Good. All right. Well, thank you once again for joining us. I really appreciate it, especially while you're on maternity leave. I hope that we didn't kind of take you away from your mom duties too long. Yeah, she's right here with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that worked out well. Thank you very much. Really appreciate thank you. it. No worries. Take care. And that concludes episode six of Forensic Minds. Thank you so much to Hannah for taking the time to speak with us and a special guest appearance from her little bub as well. Join us next time here at Forensic Minds. We'll be speaking to Dr. Amanda White about her experience as a forensic and clinical neuropsychologist. <laughs>